Welcome to the Pioneer Theater Podcast. Today we have TJ Brady, playwright of the world premiere of $2 Bill, which will be playing here at Pioneer Theater Company in Salt Lake City. TJ graduated from the United States Military Academy at West Point in 1996 and went on to serve as an Army officer at Fort Carson, Colorado, achieving the rank of captain. In early 2001, TJ left the military to pursue his writing dreams and moved to New York City, where he worked a corporate sales job by day and took writing courses by night. After building up a portfolio, TJ moved to Los Angeles in 2004 and worked as a sales rep for a lighting company until 2008, when he was hired to write on staff for the Fox TV series Lie to Me, where he wrote for two seasons. He went on to write for the Lifetime series Army Wives for three seasons and as a writer-producer for The 100, a Warner Brothers sci-fi drama. TJ is currently working on the Netflix original show Narcos. So, TJ Brady, thanks for joining us. My pleasure. This is your first foray into theater. You've been writing and producing for television for almost 10 years, Lie to Me, Army Wives 100, and currently Narcos on Netflix. What drove you to theater, and how is it different to write for it? What drove me to theater was seeing plays that I really enjoyed. One of the first plays I saw that really spoke to me was Farragut North by Bo Willimon. Oh, yeah, I've, I've read that, yeah. Yeah, he went on to create House of Cards. It was a great play. And then I saw a play by John Logan called Red. And it was just two characters mm-hmm. on stage kind of going at each other and debating what art really was and what it means and the proper role of it and uh, and the role of the artist in it. And I was really moved by both of these plays. And I had worked with playwrights in TV, um, some really talented people. But having not grown up with parents who went to the theater or being around anywhere where there was a theater to even go to, it w- I was just ignorant of the whole world of theater. And going to these plays here in Los Angeles and the discussions I had with my wife after seeing them, it, something really just started calling to me. And I really wanted to give it a stab. And I figured, why not just give it a shot? It couldn't hurt. And I wrote my first play, which was called LPOP, which I'm still trying to get produced right. about two soldiers in a, it, basically in a foxhole on the side of a mountain in Afghanistan. And then I went on, I went on to write $2 bill after I completed that. And, you know, I feel really, really lucky that it's found a home at the pioneer. Um, the, the difference, the biggest difference I see thus far in my limited experience writing for the theater is just that you can be a little more oblique in writing for the stage. It's not, um, walk in information, 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 walk out, walk in information, 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 new scene, which a lot of TV tends to be. Some of the better shows are not, um, up until now when I'm working on Netflix, uh, you know, this has been the first time where I've gotten to be, a little more, you know, a little more of that style of writing where you can be a little more oblique about the point you're trying to make as opposed to stating it out loud. Mm -hmm. So that's probably the biggest, um, the biggest difference in the actual writing of it. Well, having read two of your plays now, $2 Bill and LPOP, and knowing your bio, it's clear that your military experience and having attended West Point, uh, a military academy that 
Ron, one of your characters in $2 Bill, has attended, it's clear those experiences have inspired you a lot. Talk about that in regards to $2 Bill, if you would. Well, one of the biggest things about the military that it gave me, not just as a, as a, a human being, but as a writer, is exposure to characters and people from all over this country. Every side of the socioeconomic spectrum, every side of the racial spectrum, every, from every corner of this country, that even places you've never heard of. Um, and you really see these people as human beings with a point of view of their own, that, it, that it's just informed by where they're from and the experiences they've been through. So that is the biggest thing, was an exposure to all different kinds of people and all different points of view. <clears throat> the second part of it is, you know, you mentioned that I went to West Point and there's an honor code there and it, it's drummed into our heads that, you know, there's a right and there's a wrong. Um, there's a, there's a good and there's a bad when it comes to honor. And, you know, I, I believe that to a certain extent, but as I've gotten older and, and just lived a little bit more life, I, I see there are always gray areas and, I wanted to explore for myself where, you know, now that I'm a little bit older with this experience, where do I think that line is? And I don't know that I've found it, but these plays and $2 bill specifically is kind of an attempt, you know, an attempt to look for it and an attempt to explore in myself how I really feel about what I used to think was a black and white issue of honor. And now for me is a little bit more gray. Do you ever use your military buddies as beta readers to help you get the language and the procedure right or? Or is that Absolutely. all burned into you? Absolutely. I mean, I I left the army almost 15, uh, 14, 15 years ago, and because of that, I just I I have a friend out here who was a Green Beret, did five tours. I'll I'll have him read it. Sometimes I'll send it to my buddies who are still on active duty and have them read it. Um, but you know what's funny? In two dollar bill, two guys I knew while I was at West Point went on to become college professors, one a professor of military history. And I actually reference him in the play, John Hall. And uh, there's a passage, there's a passage that a younger character memorizes out of a, a book. And that's a real passage from John that I got his permission to use. Oh, wow. Uh, the, the, um, the other person is a guy named Ron Dufresne, who is a professor of, uh, le of leadership. And I named the character Ron after him. <laughs> Kind of as an homage. So John Hall, professor of military history at Wisconsin, and uh, Ron Dufresne, professor of leadership at St. Joseph's University. And they were a big help really on the academic side of this thing. So, you know, it's funny. I used Army Buddies to, to kind of spot check the, the script, but it wasn't about Army stuff. It was about the academic world. Right. So what's your ideal revision process, and I guess by extension, your ideal collaborative process like? I cannot say enough about having the opportunity to have actors read the play out loud in front of me and, and actually act, and I can hear the words. Um, you know, that is, I've discovered has been invaluable. And, you know, Pioneer was kind enough to do a short workshop of this play back in April, we had four great actors and the director, Matt August, there. And just to hear the play out loud over and over and over again, I there's no real there's no better way to, to get feedback on it than through the mouth of a talented actor. Um, and I found that in doing so, 
the biggest thing I, I could do is cut things that I thought were necessary to say that weren't necessary at all. Um, because you can see that, that when a talented actor takes your material and elevates it, the message comes across in a more powerful way than just simply stating, stating it out loud. You don't have to be so, uh, so obvious or on, on the nose about it. Since theater is primarily auditory and film and television is primarily visual, how do you, how do you make that switch? <sighs> you know, I'm still learning that. Um, I've only written two plays. I have several more I want to write. It's just about finding the time and really digging in. Um, I, I try and think of a play <clears throat> as a story that I want to see told in one or maybe just a handful of locations. You know, if it's, if it requires the scope of, of 10, 12 different locations, it's probably not a play. It's, it's, um, then that story is probably best suited to film or TV where you can film, uh, in all these different locations and edit it together. And I also see a play and this is completely me. I've never had any training in writing plays and I've just picked it up, uh, through talking to people in my limited experience thus far. But for me, the best plays are just arguments and, both sides of that argument are legitimate and both points of view or or in the case of many plays, all the different sides, whether it's four or five points of view on an argument are all legitimate. And the play is really the argument. And at the end of it, that argument can continue in the car on the car ride home. I mean, that's what I try and do is is in both of these plays present a problem and then argue about it for 90 minutes with the characters. And I my biggest goal is to stimulate discussion and or arguments for the audience after the curtains dropped. So that's, I guess that's my way of looking at it. Whereas film and TV is a more uh, closed ended story where it, you know, you're making your point and you're letting that resonate for a while. I don't think a play necessarily has to do that. When reading your plays, I, I felt like both $2 bill and LPOP that the, the characters were alive for me on the page when I read it. And that's not always the case. Is, is that how you find your way into character is by really sitting down and listening to their arguments or how do you, you know, I, <laughs> I'm not an actor, but when I am writing, I am really, when I'm writing a line of dialogue from that character in a way, in my head, I am that character. I try to see it from that character's point of view. I'm, I'm, I'm very empathetic as a person and as a writer, that's, that's really, I guess, what I'll call a method or a strength of mine is to just become that person and see it from their point of view in my head. And I, I have to believe it. I have to believe if I'm that person, that's what I'm going to, going to say. So a lot of it is really knowing and understanding and, and learning everything they're, there is to know. I do these really complicated, long character bios for every character. Mm. And I don't, I wouldn't necessarily share that with anybody because it might color their view of who those characters are in a different way. And I'd really like people to just draw their own conclusions from the play on the stage. But for me to write it, I, I, I mean, for Timmons and Wade in LPOP or for Bill and Jessica, I wrote six or seven pages about where they were from and where they went to school and what sports they played. And I, I have to know all that for me to make that person's voice authentic yeah. to me. 
Well, I reread Act Two this morning, and, and one line in particular stood out to me, and I and I'd like to you to comment on it, if you would. Sure. Your character sure. Bill says, "We're supposed to search for the truth, Ron, and you can't find it by just adding up a bunch of facts, even if you know what they are." Right. Right. I, to me, I think if two people look witness the same event, if you and I were to see someone run in you know, with a bucket of water and throw it on somebody and run out. I've seen time and time again that if you and I were asked to give the most detailed account we could of that incident, we're going to say different things. So even very few things in this world are objective because they're seen and related through human eyes and told through, you know, human voices. And so I just always believe that, you know, point of view subjectivity inform everything. And, and so that's where that line came from. I mean, we're all sitting here. There's a lot of things in history we call facts, but facts is told by whom? Um, facts is told at what level? You know, in the professor in $2 Bill specializes in military history, and they do a lot of talking about the Civil War. Well, the point of view of a battle from a private on the front line to a general on a horse behind that front line um, is very, very different. And I think that's the point I'm trying to make. One of the points I'm trying to make in $2 bill. Um, and we just do the best we can with the information we have. Um, and, and, you know, as long as we're honest with ourselves about our own feelings and biases and with our own subjectivity, I think, you know, I think that'll help you get closer to what we all call the truth. Have you ever come up against meritocracy in your life or know someone <laughs> who has? Yeah, I mean, the funny part is I feel like this play, I feel like it's a very meta experience for me um, getting this play about credentials and the, you know, the appearance of meritocracy versus, uh, you know, someone getting things easier or, you know, process versus outcome. And the reason I feel that way about this play is because I faced a lot of resistance in getting people to even read this play or LPOP, my other play, because I didn't go to a playwriting program. Um, mm -hmm. I faced that from theater people. I faced it from agents, uh, you know, and it's just and I get it. I really get it. There's a lot of material that comes flying at people every single day. So the easiest way to filter down the, the pile on your desk is to have somebody else do the filtering for you. Did they go to Yale Drama School or Juilliard or NYU? If so, I'll read it. You know, that must mean they know something. And so, you know, as as this developed, I feel like I'll be honest with some of my own frustrations and bias. I, I did frustrate me that I couldn't get people to read my play about credentials because <laughs> I didn't because I didn't have the credentials that would make people want to read the play, regardless of whether or not the play was any good. So, yeah, I've, I find it ironic. But now at the end of it, now that Pioneer's doing it, it's very, very satisfying and gratifying. And I feel, um, I feel good about it. Well, I'm glad it came to us. Yeah, thanks. At, at the top of the play, in a lecture bill, the history professor is giving, he says, what makes a nation a nation is whether... It exists in accordance with established rules, principles, and standards. And, of course, that echoes Bill's predicament in the play. Mm -hmm. But I'd like you to talk about how that insight 
and the rules are rules attitude that shows up later on fits, right. fits together with what you want the audience to feel when they walk out of the theater. I mean, every single person who would see this in the theater lives by a set of rules and standards that we've all agreed upon, whether it's by affirmation or just silent consent. We all stop it at stoplights. You know, we all put our blinkers on when we turn in the theater. You hope, you know, it's assumed people don't use their cell phones or try and plug them in on outlets on the stage. These are rules, you know, whether or not they've been stated out loud. But time and time again, you, you watch the news in your own life. You see there are exceptions to these rules. And what's funny is those exceptions are not available to everybody. Those exceptions are made by people with power, people with connections. And, and that is something I would like the audience to take away from this is how if you look in our society, whether it's, you know, who gets arrested and put in jail for crimes and who for that same crime gets a warning and let go, who may be shot and it called justified where, or who may be tased instead of shot. Um, there are a lot of things in the world we live in where the rules, the, the same stated rules are applied differently to different people for different reasons. And that is a very complicated algorithm to figure out. But I would just be satisfied if the audience left this play talking about that and talking about, you know, whether it's the, the situation that Bill is presented with in this play and how people react to it. Or the, a reason someone is promoted or not promoted at their own job, I would like them to find something they can tap into and link into that it resonates with them and promotes discussion and, and introspection after, you know, long after this play is over. Anything else you want to say about the play? Well, first, first and foremost, I want to say about this play is I'm so grateful it's going to get a chance to find a life on stage. I owe a lot to... Karen Eisenberg at the Pioneer and Chris Lino for taking the chance and, and giving an unproduced playwright a chance to to get the play up. I owe a lot, a lot to Matt August, the director of the play, who, despite the fact that I didn't go to a program um, or have any playwriting credentials, thought enough of it to bring it to Karen and Chris. And I'm, you know, everyone at the Pioneer Theater has been extremely supportive and encouraging uh, of the play and of me and of the process. That's all I'd really like to say. And I just, you know, other than that, like to let the characters, you know, speak for me and for the play. And hopefully, ultimately, it will be successful. Thank you for listening to the Pioneer Theater Podcast. Check out other episodes of this podcast with the directors, playwrights, designers, and composers for other shows this season at www.pioneertheater, spelled R-E, dot O-R-G, and clicking the individual play titles. If you have any questions about $2 Bill or would like tickets, you can go online or call our wonderful box office staff at 801-581-6961. Thank you.